0: You're listening to Beyond Your Imagination with Chris Martin, in-depth conversations with dreamers and doers about the 21st century world of independent film. When I think about people who love movies, my friend and today's guest Kyle Schold instantly comes to mind. An illustrator by trade, who created the fantastic poster for this podcast, he uses his passion for film and storytelling tools, from cinematography to scores, to influence his work. In this conversation, we cover a lot of ground, from his first cinematic memory that sparked his imagination, to the score that fuels his creativity. We also talk about how movies shift through time, the differences between physical and streaming media, and why quality and control are crucial elements in curating your film library. Enjoy the conversation.
1: All right, hello everyone. My name is Kyle Schold. I am a illustrator and graphic designer. Uh, I work under the banner of Freshwater Bay Creative here in Vancouver, Washington. And uh, I'm happy to be on the on the show today. Awesome. Well,
0: just so everyone knows, Kyle is not only a good friend, he is an amazing illustrator and he has created the awesome poster for this show, as well as the poster for Getting Work to Work. An unbelievable illustrator. So I can't sing your praises enough, Kyle.
1: Oh, thanks very much. Thanks very much. They were uh, fun to do for sure.
0: <laughs> Whenever I show people the, the, the poster for this show in particular, it's that podcast robot that gets them every time. It's just like, whoa. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I wish I could say that that came, uh, came quickly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, just like everything in life, you know, sometimes the most amazing things just take a little bit of
1: time. Yes. And that one did. <laughs> <laughs> Well,
0: I personally thank you for the the amount of time and effort you put into it cuz I I love looking at it every single day.
1: Oh, you're welcome. Thank you.
0: So, what was the last movie that you saw that surprised you? Because, you know, we can talk a lot about new movies, old movies, but uh, I'm curious what what surprised you recently.
1: The movie I saw that that surprised me would be called it's called The Train. Actually, mm-hmm. it's called John Frankenheimer's The Train. It's from 1964. And uh I just recently learned of this movie um maybe a month or so ago director Christopher McQuarrie on Twitter was talking about it he he comes on there and talks about certain movies that he uh that he likes and I I don't remember how but the subject came up of trains and he started talking about The Train uh from 1964 and, and he just was singing its praises and it sounded amazing. And I'm like, well, I, I got to check this out and I couldn't <laughs> find it anywhere. So I just went ahead and, and, uh, bought the Blu-ray and, uh, sight unseen nice, and ended up Perfect. watching it and just, just loved it. I am kind of, uh, kind of hooked on it these days, but it's, it's a great movie about, uh, you know, it takes place during world war two and it's about moving, uh, all of this precious artwork on train that, that, uh, this Nazi, commander is trying to basically steal by moving it from uh france to germany and then you've got a group of freedom fighters that are trying to stop him and uh there's just a bunch of stuff going on in there about like is it really worth it all of this loss of life to save artwork and uh you know you can't just blow up the train like normally (laughs) you know like bridge on the river Kwai. like let's just destroy the train like no (laughs) so they got to come up with all kinds of other uh clever ways to get this train away from the nazis and it's it's just incredible and the the stunts that they do in it uh bert lancaster stars and he does his own stunts and oh, wow. um and then they've got a whole train yard that they blow up uh for real because apparently <laughs> it was a train yard that they wanted to change the gauge of track in but they couldn't afford it. So the movie production came in and said, well, we'll blow up your train yard. And, uh, <laughs> it, it's just, uh, it's just a, a very cool movie that, uh, I really enjoyed.
0: That's so cool. Yeah. There's something about the sixties and seventies when it comes to stunts that, you know, they, they just went all in on that stuff.
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh, and that's, that's one of the reasons why I just keep going back to all that stuff is that, you know, I, I love CGI and, and, You know, green screen and all that stuff that that stuff can make really cool movies. But there's something about going back, you know, 30, 40, 50 years or more and seeing what they had to do in camera and having to get, you know, the same kind of stunts. But they've actually got to do it this time. They can't just hang on wires on a stage. (laughs) And um, I love everything about it.
0: That's so cool. Yeah. It reminds me of a book I just finished recently by Hal Needham called, I think it was called Stuntman. And it was his memoir of how he became a stuntman for Burt Reynolds and Smokey and the Bandit and how he became a director. And it's just like that, that whole world of stunts and actual physical you know, filmmaking is so fascinating, especially in terms of our modern sensibilities.
1: Oh, absolutely. And they, they still do a lot of amazing stunts today, Mm -hmm. but what I've found is that unfortunately they kind of like cover it up with a lot of like post-production CGI, you know, like the, there's, um, in one of the mission impossibles, I think the most recent one where they, uh, they do a halo jump out the, at the back of a plane and and Tom Cruise actually did it. And they've got the camera guy following (laughs) them down and it's like, that's amazing And they actually did it, but when you see it so processed in the final image, uh, it kind of takes it away. It's almost like they could have just done it on a stage, and and I I think something's lost there because when you see them, you know, you go back a few decades and you see them, you know, jumping from car to car or something, you know, it's uh, it's actually happening, and (laughs) somebody could have actually been really seriously injured, and you can tell.
0: Yeah, it's it's like the ultimate putting something on the line for the craft as opposed to that question of is this really on the line? You know, when when you're literally on a line in a green screen padded room.
1: <laughs> right, right. And it's and it's all done for our entertainment, which is just insane.
0: It is insane. That is what is most mind-boggling about all this, is that it is for entertainment in a lot of ways. <laughs> I never really thought of it that way until you just <laughs> said that. But you're absolutely right.
1: They're they're putting their lives on the line. They're blowing things up and they're making all kinds of trashed things and it's all just to uh, get a couple hours of uh, escapism.
0: Yeah, when you mentioned like modern stunts and things like that, I was thinking about the John Wick trilogy where, you know, we watch the behind the scenes footage and how they really staged a lot of the stunts and it. It's pretty wild what you know, stunts has almost turned into an that art of choreography. Not just of, you know, you need to be here when this thing blows up. Now it's like you need to be here doing this, engaging with this mech <laughs> that will right. be put in post. And so you're acting with the person across from you while you're both acting from whatever's happening in the computer.
1: Oh, absolutely. And and one of the things about those those John Wick movies, which is so cool, is that. You know, it's conceived and directed by a stuntman, somebody that knows that business and knows what things look good on camera and how to stage them properly. And, and then you get, you know, Keanu Reeves and they're doing like all of that stuff or at least most of it. So then they're able to stage the camera in such a way to actually see it happening. It's not just like cut, 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 you know?
0: Right, right. So what's going through your brain when you watch a movie as an, as an illustrator and as someone who I would classify as a connoisseur of film.
1: First of all, I I just need to say that like, I just love movies. Again, it's my favorite subject. uh, And I, when I watch a movie, I like it to be as much of an event as possible. I'll watch, (laughs) you know, I started up my favorite is just to see it start up with the production company credits Mm -hmm. going through those opening titles you know, even if it's a movie I've seen multiple times, I just love how it begins in like, what kind of a journey is the storyteller going to take me on? And then I'll watch it right through the end credits End credits roll most of the time, all the way to the end when I watch a movie. And I know that a lot of people kind of like, oh, here comes the director or the producer. Boom, shut it off. But, uh, <laughs> right. You no, know, I, 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 let it roll because I just love the entire experience of it. And I'm usually when I go to see a movie in the theater, usually the last one sitting there when uh, everybody's cleaning up around me. So (laughs) I'm sure they love that, but uh, uh, what's going through my mind uh, is an illustrator. I mean, it's really just more about the, like the storytelling and the compositions that are involved. And usually I like to just watch it and, and experience it. I'm not like trying to overthink it. Like, you know, Oh, this is how they did that. Or, Look how they set up this shot. Unless it's something that just really stands out to me, I save that stuff for later on if I end up watching it again, or, or if it's something that just just really kind of grabs me, like, oh wow, look how they they put that lighting in the doorway. Now it's red when the scene changed to give it a more menacing tone, or something something along those lines. But I tend to notice a lot of things about like not only the cinematography and the composition, but uh, especially the score. Anything that's production design, like what's the set look like? What does somebody's room or somebody's kitchen uh, look like? What is the costumes? You know, what are they wearing? How does that create the character that they're trying to uh, imbue to us? And I try to pull that kind of stuff, that kind of detail, over into uh, whether I'm successful or not. It is on my mind. Of okay, well, I'm I'm telling a story even in a single image. What is the design going to say about this character or this story or this setting uh, that I can get across to the viewer?
0: Oh, that's fascinating. And I, I love, too, that that it is, first and foremost, all about the story that you're experiencing.
1: I don't see how it can't be. I mean, that's that's really what I love most about the movies is just this uh escapism i mean really if we're gonna go into it movies movies are kind of like my my vice Mm. my drug if you will (laughs) yeah of how do i excise myself from reality for a little while uh some people do video games i've never been much of a video game person i've always loved the storytelling involved of like okay somebody's got this idea and how do they communicate it how do they get it across to us even if it's pure cinema without dialogue sort of thing. Yeah. That's really fascinating to me and just really kind of gives me this high, if you will.
0: <laughs> Was there a film when you were a kid that, that kicked this all off for you?
1: I mean, if I had to pick one, it'd be Star Wars, 1977. <laughs> um, that is, without a doubt, my, my first... Probably my first memory ever is seeing Star Wars, is seeing the... Uh, you know the stormtroopers come through the the airlock into the into the blockade runner's hallway and start mowing down rebel troops. You know that's uh, that just sparked my imagination at such a young age that I don't know if uh, if I'd be such a film fan if not for that. But I I probably would have because as as the years went by, I mean, there was you know there's Superman and there's the Star Trek movies and. Uh, and then you get into the action heroes of the day, you know, Schwarzenegger and Stallone. And and by the time I'd gotten into my teen years, when I was, you know, begging to see RoboCop for a year before I actually got <laughs> to see it, I was already long hooked. And even with film music, as I was going through those years of, you know, the teen years of what kind of music do I like? And what's everybody else listening to? And it always came back to the more orchestral Uh, storytelling aspects of music, which is what a film score is. And so I, I kind of kept with that.
0: I love that too, because when, when you were talking about, you know, the production company logos coming up, I still get chills every time I hear the drum roll and, and the drum cadence of the 20th century Fox logo that precedes the first six star Wars films.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And there was talk of, la- of that going away when Disney bought Fox and, like, oh, we're going to get the Magic Castle before Star Wars. And, <laughs> oh, boy, I, I, uh, I, I don't know about that. I'm, I'm glad they don't do that. But um, it's definitely something very cool. And they, 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 they've got so many more production companies now. But, like, back in the day, you could, you'd had Paramount come up or, uh, <laughs> right. you know, Touchstone or, or the beloved Carol Co. logo. Those things were kind of magical. To me and and the fact that like i feel like i was so lucky to be born at this time that like came right into the vhs era yeah where you could discover so many things that you wouldn't normally you, you not only did you have the theaters where movies would be there for six months and not just disappear uh you then had you know friday night rentals of what are we going to watch this weekend And there were so many, so many great things that you could discover just from going and looking at a, at a VHS cover and going, oh man, I got to pick this one up. This looks awesome. And then finding out that it's complete trash, but the excitement, (laughs) the excitement of it was still there. (laughs)
0: Well, and I have to I have to imagine that that VHS experience of seeing a story told not only on the front panel, but you know, when they're when they're on the side and you see that little thumbnail as well, there's a lot of power to infiltrate your brain as an illustrator in that moment too.
1: Oh, yeah. And I I pull a lot of inspiration from those days of of VHS covers and illustrated movie posters and whether whether or not it's a good thing, a lot of my inspiration comes from the the seventies and eighties. On just about every project I do, uh, I try to imbue it with some sort of uh, fantastical eighties type of theme. <laughs>
0: <laughs> not to wax too nostalgically about the eighties, but you know what what do you think it was about the? the attitude in the 80s that really made it so magical for people that grew up then
1: um well behind the scenes probably the cocaine i think that would be <laughs> that <be>
0: the... <laughs> i mean there's probably so much truth to that
1: <laughs> you know i i don't know what it is i think we kind of got lucky with the types of filmmakers that had grown up in the 50s so you had a bunch of filmmakers like lucas spielberg uh john carpenter to an extent, Scorsese that had grown up with, they were the first generation that kind of had movies on TV. And before that, it was like you had to go to the theater you could you could sit in the theater all day. And then you had this generation that came into the 50s, you know, the late 50s and, and part of the 60s where films were now being put on television. And they experienced them that way, not just in the theater, but they experienced them through TV and they could experience them sometimes more often and sometimes see things that they wouldn't normally have seen and that influenced a lot of what went into the filmmaking of the 70s and definitely into the 80s there's there's a huge 50s nostalgia throughout the 80s uh, in a lot of different movies and through the the techniques that they that they used that I think was really kind of, not just trying to ape it but create something new with that nostalgia and you also had the age of um, you know star wars kind of brought in the age of special effects and everybody was kind of hooked on special effects and fantasy and you had the action movies of the 80s and people were ready for that kind of not so much realistic grit but more of the fantastical more the over the top. And I think it really kind of brought in a lot of imagination of what can we do? What can we do? What can we do to top ourselves? And that, that went across action that went across sci-fi fantasy, the horror genre exploded. There was just so much going on there and they weren't focused on being real. There wasn't this, if they made a space movie, you know, (laughs) they weren't going to NASA and getting their, their scientists to to come over and go well is this real we've got a theoretical physicist on uh, staff now and could this actually happen you know that seems to be part of the marketing of all these movies now like well look how real it is and back then it was like how cool can we make it (laughs) and yeah that's kind of like you know my point of view when i'm doing something is like not so much well how real is this how how much does it fit or work and it's like well if it just kind of looks like it could work but it's mainly cool that's what i'm going for
0: that's such a really interesting perspective too because as someone who loves documentary i i want all of the realism to be in documentary but i want my i want the non-documentary films that i see to have that possibility that it could be real but it doesn't need to be real so it's like, take Interstellar, for example. I remember there was a lot of, you know, this isn't real. How could this possibly happen? And yet, at the same time, it's just like, just give me a scenario where it could happen. It doesn't need to actually be real.
1: Yeah, but even Interstellar, they're, they're, they're talking about, you know, they got Kip Thorne on there, talking <laughs> right. about, well, this is, this is what a, a black hole would really look like. And I'm sitting there going, well, that's really cool. You got some cool visuals. But give me 1979's black hole any day <laughs> that has almost zero scientific credibility, and yet, man, it looks cool. <laughs> that swirling blue uh, funnel out in space, and you've got then you've got uh, crazy giant glowing asteroids smashing through the ship, and people running across gangways to get out of the way. You know, I'll take that stuff over Interstellar any day. Yeah. Because really, it
0: shows I think the product of an un an unhindered imagination to put yourself in a position that you'll never be in and try to create something new and unseen.
1: Oh, absolutely! I mean, look at the difference between like uh, uh, you know, nineteen fifty six uh, or 57's Forbidden Planet, mm-hmm. and how unhinged the 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 science is there. And yet they're, they're trying to do things like there's stuff in that, that I haven't seen in anything else. Like, you know, they get into these force fields to protect themselves from, uh, the inertia of stopping from going at light speed, right. Or slowing down. Uh, that stuff is, you know, super cool. Does it, does it, does it work scientifically? (laughs) No, but it's, (laughs) it's so neat to think in that regard. And then 10 years later, you know, before we've even you know, set foot on the, on the moon, but there is a space program. You've got Stanley Kubrick's 2001, which is so different in how it approaches all of that kind of stuff where it's like, okay, we want to be as realistic as possible in what it's like to actually be in space with the weightlessness and all of that. But I, I kind of miss the days of just unhinged imagination of like, what would it be to, to go to Mars and land on it and just be able to step out of the ship and breathe. And there's, there's Martians running around. Like I think we're missing something from that. And which is why I just continually love to discover, you know, the older movies from that era.
0: Yeah, for sure. It's funny you mentioned 2001 because if there's one example of how much of a reality I don't need, it's like the 20 minute scene where it's showing like how fast things really move in space. Oh, right. <laughs> it's right. Just like, you know what? I, I didn't need to know that, Stanley.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, except at the time, you know, nobody understood that stuff. That was almost like trying to be documentary right. in, in what he was showing. And it's it's similar to like, you know, the the 60s James Bond movies being almost like travel logs. Of like, (laughs) look, look how beautiful the Bahamas are and look at the, look at the bar at the hotel. And, and they focus on a lot of that stuff because people weren't traveling as much. And you get to, you know, contemporary type of James Bond films where it's just about move, 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 you know, look at this scene, but we're, we're already moving on. It's not about like looking at how beautiful something is for five, 10 minutes. It's about moving that plot along even faster.
0: You bring up a really interesting point, though, whether it's, you know, the science in our science fiction or what is available to us, you know, like on streaming platforms. It's like it's almost like we have the curse of too much at this point And it and it really affects our imagination.
1: I don't know if it's if it's so much having too much. I think it's just the easy access to all of that. Like you can sit there and. And scroll through Netflix or whatever your streaming app is, you know, just endlessly. And you're just looking at thumbnails and there's just so much there that you have instant access to. It's like, well, what do I pick? What do I pick? And some of those thumbnails are just terrible. I'm like, why did they choose that? You know, it's a movie I've seen before and they've chosen some thumbnail of, of a, of a side character that really doesn't mean anything. I don't, I don't know what they, what they're doing, but you know, compare that to like going to the video store where, you had maybe just as much of a selection on the shelves, but you weren't just scrolling. You could you could stand in front of a section and kind of like look and see what was going to catch your eye and then pick up that box off the shelf, look at the back, see what the description was, see who's in it, see who directed it, all this stuff. And now it's almost like just click on the thumbnail and start it up. And you might have to do a little bit more research to find out if it's really something you want, you know, look up a trailer or something. But at the same time, it's really just kind of like there's all this stuff that you could just watch now, just right now. And and how do you get to it? But 30 years ago you had to go, well, I can only get three for the weekend, you know?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Have it or even think to you know, that you could own something too. Cause I remember growing up, you know, to buy a a VHS copy of something was a hundred dollars.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. And it was (laughs) like that. It was like that into the nineties, uh, before something was released. I used to work at a, at a a video store in the mid nineties. And if it was not out yet, it would cost you a good 80, 90 bucks, but you had to wait for the street date and then it would drop down to the reasonable rate. Cause they didn't want anybody, you know, they wanted to keep that theatrical thing going. But I, I remember, you know, my first movie I probably bought on my own was 1989's Batman on VHS. And I pre-ordered that like several months beforehand. And I think I paid like 35 or 40 bucks for it. You know, because I just had to have that movie, yeah. but yeah, it was it was pricey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think
0: I think back to that time, and I, and I think I really by the time I really started getting into movies, it was the age of the video club where you could you know put the little stamps on the form and pick like ten movies on VHS and they'll mail them oh, to right. you, and, and you got to buy like three in a year or something.
1: Right, right still not sure how they made money on that that
0: oh i don't think they did which is probably why they're not really around you know apart from streaming media of course but of course you know they they went away pretty quickly (laughs) unless it was a juggernaut like you know uh disney or something like that
1: yeah now (laughs) disney has their own club now
0: exactly (laughs) literally all of the clubs yeah so it it is interesting to talk about physical media because I I know you are a huge fan of physical media even to today cuz you know you mentioned 1964's The Train and how you bought the Blu-ray sight unseen. Funny side note, you know, I I will literally buy a movie on on Blu-ray or DVD that I haven't seen yet, my wife just looks at me going, "What if you hate the movie?" I'm just like but you still got to get that thrill of buying a movie on uh, and adding it to your collection. And so, you know, for you, what is it about physical media that just you still put down the money for?
1: First and foremost, I think that you're getting a better visual and audio experience by buying it. Uh, you know, no matter how good streaming gets, it's never going to have the same kind of quality as a Blu-ray or even a DVD. Sometimes. And now they've got, you know, the 4K Blu-rays, which can give you an even better picture, which I, you know, I, I've kind of started to get into that if the price is right. Um, (laughs) Right. But it's really comes down to, for me, just like I said, I, I, I grew up in the age of the, of the video store and I like having that kind of tactile it's not ephemera like you you when you when you go onto your streaming service and you're you're scrolling through and you've got all these thumbnails and you just click on one and it starts up and then you watch it and it's done and it it's there's no effort to it there's no there's no event to it really it's it's like okay I've just watched a a piece of content you know it's that word content now yes. that every there's, there's no there's no films there's no movies it's content and I feel like when you're when you're watching it on streaming, you're watching content. But if you actually make the choice of going, I love this film, I love this movie, and I want it to be, when I watch it, I want it to be in the best possible quality I can get it. And I'm going to put my money down. I'm going to have that thing in my house where I can pick it up. I can look at the back of it. I can uh, appreciate it. That somebody, whether it's a studio or whether it's uh, a boutique, a specialty label like the Criterion Collection or Shout Factory or Kino Lorber, they've taken the time to design something for it. Whether they've used, you know, the the old poster or they've commissioned a new piece of art for the cover, somebody had to take the time to put that design for the cover together, and. Put the copy together for the back and assemble special features for it, um, if it has it, and make sure that there's an audio commentary track. Possibly, they've taken the time to go. This is important. This isn't just content. This is something to be celebrated, and you also get the the control of it of going. Well, now I you know I want to watch this right now. <laughs> you, you don't have to go. Uh, oh, I saw that on on Netflix about six months ago, and it, somebody brought it up, and I really want to watch, uh, you know, Escape from New York. Uh, and you go on Netflix, and it's not there anymore. And you are like, "Well, maybe it's on Amazon Prime." No, it's not on Amazon Prime. Well, I guess I can just go rent it, but then you are not getting that same kind of quality. You, you know, you are you could rent it digitally. You could even buy it digitally until there is some sort of Problem with the rights, and they go. Nope we've we've taken that off of our service now. And you go. Well, wait a minute. I spent fifteen dollars on this digital copy. Well, yeah we we lost the rights to it, and and now it's not here. Uh, well, great. So you're just leasing it at that point uh, until they decide to take it away from you. There's something, and I and I've always bought physical media, and whether it was VHS, whether it was DVD, whether it's now Blu-ray it's always been something that's been special to me of going, this movie, this particular movie is important. And I, I want it there on my shelf, not only to just be able to watch it when I want, but to just say, this is important. It's a, it's a curation of your own personal library of having that stuff on the shelf and being able to look at the artwork and just see it as this is legitimate. This is something that's been validated by giving it a physical release rather than it just being a digital content that you consume and forget.
0: I really love the whole point of curation because you can't really curate a digital experience. I mean, you can, if you're, you know, buying, you know, the films or leasing them to a certain degree, you know, but you're not really curating what is important to you. And You know, I think that is something that we're missing more and more, especially as the emphasis really is moving towards, you know, you're only legitimate if you get your film on Netflix or Amazon Prime or, you know, whatever streaming service du jour comes up next.
1: Right. And I I have, you know, I have no problem with the streaming services. I I love them just like anybody else does, um, especially a lot of their original content but they don't have everything and they don't have everything at the highest possible quality. You can watch it. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've watched a a movie on a streaming service where the sound is just sounds pinched (laughs) or the, the dialogue is quiet and then the music blasts. And it's like, well, is that the compression? Is that how they've mixed it for the, for the site? I don't know. But when you buy something on physical media, for the most part, and there's there's stuff that hasn't been released very well, but for the most part, somebody has taken the time to say this film or this TV show or what have you is important, and it deserves to have the best possible uh, definitive release of it. And here you go. And now when you watch it, you're getting your best possible picture and sound. And I and I just there's something about that that's important to me. That when it's on my shelf and I go, okay, nobody can take this away from me uh, if, unless I scratch a disc or what have you. <laughs> it's there for however many years I want it there. And I can watch that when I want it and nobody can go, well, you know what? This was made during a, a problematic non woke time. So we're going to change this or we're going to remove it from our platform because it might be offensive or we're going to put a little disclaimer up front just to let you know that, uh, you know, Hey, this, this is something in here that we don't condone, but here's the movie anyway, which is what happened with gone with the wind on, on HBO max last year they almost took it off their platform completely until there was an outcry about it. And then they put it up with, okay, well, here's a disclaimer. Well, what's to stop anybody from taking anything off of their, their list that goes, well, this is problematic in today's contemporary world. When I can buy a movie from the forties or fifties or thirties that maybe doesn't have what contemporary off audiences agree with, but, it's on my shelf and they can't take it away from me.
0: To a certain degree, it's like history is history and you can still learn from it and still enjoy aspects of, of it that is forever marked in time through the filmmaking process.
1: And, and I think that that's, that's, um, that's something that a lot of people don't do when they watch a movie, especially an older movie, is they don't take the time to put themselves within that time frame. All they want to do is look at it through contemporary rose-colored glasses of, well, this isn't how it is. This is right. how it should be, and now I'm offended by it. And instead of, you know, they do the same thing with special effects. Like, well, you know, that that King Kong from 1933 <laughs> sure doesn't hold up. And it's right. like, well, you're missing the point. You you put yourself in the mindset of being an audience member in 1933 and you watch the film through those glasses, yeah. And I promise you, you'll be amazed at what they accomplished, and what the story is, and how fast the story moves, and what what they bring to it with something like like King Kong, and or or even something you know like uh, the Adventures of Robin Hood, you know, from 1938, of getting into the mindset, looking at it from that point of view, or. Going to like 1940s His Girl Friday with Cary Grant and Rosalind Russell, where you're looking at it from the point of view of being in 1940, and you're seeing this female character that is so strong and so forward and uh, takes control of her own destiny, and you'll be amazed in that regard. So if you take a moment to just maybe not necessarily have to understand the history, but go back and go, okay, I'm going to watch it through these eyes. There's so many movies that just blow me away. I'm watching them. I'm going, I can't believe they just did that or they just said that or they just did this stunt or they just had this special effect or or even a camera movement where they go, wait a minute, nobody else was doing that at that time. It's stuff that just that just fascinates me and excites me to no end.
0: It is interesting, too, not only, I think, does physical media allow you to curate that experience like you you mentioned, but I do think that there is a level of support and understanding of who made the films that's different when it comes to physical media as opposed to streaming platforms. Because one of the things that I've noticed is it's kind of hard to know who the crew is, who was the director of photography, who was the director. And it's like streaming is more about the platform and not the creators themselves.
1: Yeah. I would agree with that. I think that, uh, I don't want to call it a problem because everybody's got their different ways of doing things, but (laughs) right. Yeah. I think that not knowing who's making it, which is, which is why they you know, they, they have to put up like, you know, here's this movie by so-and-so who made this movie you saw three years ago. Right. (laughs) Right. Because nobody knows who that producer is or that director is. Um, or you know they they might know a, a movie star, but as far as people behind the scenes, I think that a lot of people kind of dismiss that or just don't worry about it.
0: Yeah, because it, that's something that I find that part of the my curation patterns is it'll be a director that I really enjoy, and so I want to collect his works. Or you know like. Uh, editors that I enjoy, like Walter Murch, for example. It's like I want to watch everything that that man has edited and directed because of the way that he approaches his craft. And I, I think that's kind of how I've thought about curation in the past.
1: Oh, absolutely. And and also with the point of curation, it's it's like you can make your own. Imagine going into a video store where everything on the shelf you love. And you look at it and go, "Oh, okay. Well, uh, any one of these I can grab, I can put in, and I'm going to love it at any time. And I don't have to worry about like, is the streaming service, you know, (laughs) recording every time I start and stop and pause the movie? Are they? Am I just being added to the statistic of of whether or not this should be up on their platform or not? you've got more options and there's there's even things that aren't streaming at all that you can only get on physical media still that are just amazing and the fact that like some of these boutique labels that you know like whether it's criterion or whether it's arrow video whether it's kino lorber they just care there's a label called blue underground that just released uh the final countdown which is a 1980 kind of a sci-fi time travel movie with the USS Nimitz that like, why does anybody care about this movie? (laughs) It's not like it, it's not like it blew the doors off of cinemas. It's not like anybody talks about it today. I actually think it's a really cool movie. It's kind of like this extended twilight zone episode, but blue underground took the time to go. This is important to us. We're gonna put this out for you, and we're gonna make it the best quality we can. We're gonna we're gonna give it a brand new 4K scan. We're going to um, give you all kinds of special features for it. We're even gonna include the the score on CD with this release, oh, wow. and we're gonna put it in a packaging that like has a reversible cover. It has a slip case with this lenticular cover that like Ooh. the Nimitz kind of disappears and appears inside of this, Ooh. this big swirling storm. And it's those sorts of things where they, like I was saying, it, it kind of brings a legitimacy to it. It mm-hmm. says, this is important to us and hopefully it's important to you. And when you have that sitting on your shelf, you go, that's important movie
0: when you mentioned lenticular design, I'm just like, Ooh, that's exciting. I, Ooh, I want more of that.
1: <laughs> right. And <laughs> who's, who's doing that. that? Like you don't get that scrolling through, uh, <laughs> no, you know, your, your streaming service and go, Oh, there's final <laughs> countdown. And, uh, yeah, I don't know what this is. I'll click boom. Oh, it's over. Boom. Now you've got this, like this, this cool thing that goes, look, look what I can, I can show you. And somebody said, this is, this movie is important enough that we're going to go the extra mile mm. and we're going to include this. <laughs> This crazily almost useless design on it, but it says it's important. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: Nothing says it's important like investing dollars in obscure printing technology.
1: <laughs> on an obscure movie. Yes, yes, of course.
0: So speaking of scores, is there a score that you return to time and time again that that really just inspires you and, and gets your creativity going?
1: I'd say anything from Jerry Goldsmith will do that. Nice. But let me see here. If I had to choose one specifically for this question, I'd say probably uh, Basil Polidorus is Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> I think that that's just a, a spectacular score all around, especially there's a, there's a re recording of that entire score from 2010, I believe. And it was conducted by Nick rain for, uh, through I think the city of Prague orchestra or philharmonic, something like that. It basically takes like what Paul Dioris's original desires for the score were going to be. Cause he, he recorded originally in 1982 with uh, I think like a Hungarian orchestra that just couldn't exactly hit what he wanted. And that score is still amazing on CD has, as he conducted it. But this, this re-recording this reconstruction of it that uh that nick rain did uh in 2010 is just amazing and the sound is just spectacular and so i keep kind of coming back to that score if i'm looking for something that's that's really gonna kind of get the the juices flowing that's that's a great one
0: i'm gonna have to go listen to that because i i can't remember i was probably a young kid when i saw the conan movies last so i'll have to go check out that score oh definitely so is, is there anything that, that you're looking to explore next? Is there a certain type of genre that you're going to explore? Is there, is there something that you're excited to bring into your artwork that you're creating?
1: Is there a different genre of like movie or just like overall in the illustration ta- sort of thing?
0: Both. It's kind of a big loaded question, so feel free to tackle it. Whatever kind of floats up for you.
1: Well, I mean, I'd say... As far as movies go, uh, the genre that I've kind of fallen into in the last, boy, I'd say maybe five years, uh, is the horror genre specifically. And this is going to shock you, like seventies and eighties horror. Um, <laughs> I'm shocked. <laughs> yes, and uh, it's something that like I didn't, I didn't grow up on. Uh, I wasn't, you know, during that time, I wasn't into the horror genre. I remember seeing a portion of a nightmare on elm street when i was probably 11 or 12 that um terrified me so much that uh, i didn't even revisit that movie for uh quite some time but back in those those days i was much more into the uh the sci-fi and the action stuff Mm -hmm. and not so much into the horror and and what i've found particularly as i've as i've kind of discovered or rediscovered uh, a lot of John Carpenter's work is it's kind of led me down a path of like other horror films from that time. Things like, you know, the gloriously horrible sleepaway (laughs) camp, which is, is one of those movies that is just, it's so bad. And yet it is, utterly fascinating and has an (laughs) ending that just leaves your jaw on the floor. Like I was lucky enough that when I first saw Sleepaway Camp that I had not been spoiled in almost 40 years of what that ending was. So it just floored me or something like The Blob from 1988. The remake of The Mm, Blob is a movie that just, I just, I'd seen it I think on TV when I was a teen. Uh, Parts of it. Uh, and it didn't really leave much of an impression. Cause again, I wasn't like kind of into the horror scene, but then watching it again, uh, just a couple few years ago, uh, it just really got me. And I was like, whoa, this is one of the best remakes I've ever seen. It's right up there with, with uh, the thing with John Carpenter's, the thing as being a remake that's just as good. And so I've kind of gotten into that where the horror genre has, has kind of, really been something I've been enjoying lately and the type of cinematography and lighting that they employ in that. I would say if I'm, if I'm trying to bring anything over into my illustrations, it's, it's stuff like that. It's a little bit more, again, it's not trying to be real. It's like, where does that light source come from? It doesn't matter. Cause it makes it look cool. Um, that's the kind of stuff I try to employ into my artwork of, does it make sense? Does it need to make sense? No, but is it right for the composition? Absolutely.
0: Yeah. You had me at gloriously horrible because I I'm just like, "Ooh, I'm in."
1: <laughs> oh yeah, I I highly recommend Sleepaway Camp. It's uh, it's great. <laughs> it's quote-unquote great.
0: <laughs> is it as hor- gloriously horrible as Critters?
1: I would say Critters Critters is trying to be somewhat comedic. <laughs> like it knows what it is. Right. Whereas like Sleepaway Camp was really trying to be dead serious. It was trying to be Halloween. It was trying to be black Christmas and it became something so much more.
0: <laughs> you <laughs> left me on the line there. I'm ready. I did. For
1: it. I can't, I cannot give anything away about sleep away <laughs> camp. You have to experience it.
0: That's spectacular. Well, Kyle, where can people see your amazing work and learn more about the work that you do?
1: You can find my work at freshwaterbaycreative.com. Um, I've also got an Instagram account, which is uh, fwbcreative. That's pretty much it. I, I, I do have a Twitter account that's that I don't really use much for that. But uh, if you want to see a lot of my work, you can go to Instagram. You can go to my website. Again, freshwaterbaycreative.com. And you can also find contact information there.
0: Thank you for listening to Beyond Your Imagination with Chris Martin. Head to byi.show to learn more about Kyle and find links to everything mentioned in this episode. If you hit the merch page, you can actually see the awesome poster that he designed, as well as the sticker. It's pretty awesome stuff. I love it. Until next time, may your action always be greater than your inspiration as you build worlds beyond your imagination.